Excuse me. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke 24, 25 through 35. And he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scripture, the things he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did our hearts, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. I love this passage. Um, I love um, how the majority of the resurrection appearances that Jesus has to his disciples, he is eating or cooking a meal, and he is showing us who he is in his resurrection body. One of the beauties of it, I think, is that we have all these notions of what uh, heaven is going to be like uh, that are that don't even come close to the truth. Um, it, whether it's our, you know our popular visions of it being you know sitting on clouds and playing um, uh, guitars or lutes or old instruments, accordions and things, or not accordions, uh, harps, uh, <laughs> maybe accordions. I don't know. That's uh, depending on what parts of uh, heaven we go to, maybe. But uh, we have all these notions of it, but w- the beauty of it is, I think, that Jesus, one, when, he's, when he resurrects, he comes back to earth to show his disciples who he is, and he's there bodily and materially to show who he is as well. We're going through our sermon series. This is our last one on uh, our habits of the heart, our liturgy, the practices that put us in rhythm with God, the shaping of our worship and shaping our lives as well. These shab- these habits, shabbats, these uh, habits uh, shape us and form us and show us how to live and so that we can go about the rest of our weeks, the rest of our lives uh, doing it. And this is one of those key ones. We're talking about our sacraments this week baptism and the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. We don't have a lot of sacramental items, at least at first thought in our lives, in our daily lives. Uh, We don't have a lot of rituals or things, coffee, yeah, uh, that necessarily, um, that function in the same way. I'll put it that way. And we'll get into what that is. But I do think there are touchstones in our lives and I think they're things that we've inherited uh, a lot of times. I think they're um, uh, rituals that we've gone through, uh, whether it's like 
a graduation or something like that, some kind of special ceremony that we've had in our lives. So what what are those? Are there is there anything? Coffee being a a habit that shapes our lives, something, a ceremonial thing that we go through. So what are some of those that we experience on a regular basis or just are markers in our lives? Yeah, it's weird how we've lost them and how we've taken them away. I know there's a lot of like evangelical like movements or not a lot, but a few that are trying to restore different things and bringing back the knighthood or the kind of like what would it what would be the 12 steps if you will maybe not 12 steps maybe 12 steps uh but that you get, would go through to be able to like uh, go okay these are the things you need to learn to be a man or to be a woman and to come into come into age and all of that i think of uh for me i was thinking of i have some rocks glasses that i inherited from my grandparents uh that whenever they're my go-to glass that I grab now. They had lots of happy hours. They uh, almost always had people over in the evenings, um, and so they were they were in the military long for a long time. And they entertained people that way, and I grab it and I think of uh, sitting and uh, with them. And um, was never wasn't old enough very often or for very long, but uh, to drink with them, but to have that experience. I, I remember these, those glasses. Uh, I have one of my grandfather, I have both of my grandfather's watches actually. Um, and I think of them when I put them on, I have a cowboy hat, um, from my dad's, uh, father. Um, it's beautiful. I love it. Uh, it needs to be repaired, but I love being able to wear it and think of, you know, did he wear it? When did he wear it? I don't ever remember him wearing it, but, um, Graduations, we have that Eagle Scout. Like that was a big ceremony uh, that I went through. Um, that was kind of like, okay, you've done the work and you've moved into a new understanding. And I don't know, it looks good on a resume, I guess. Um, I don't talk about it very much. Um, you know, the special occasions we pull out the silver or the nice china or the beautiful plates. Uh, at Christmas time, at uh, Thanksgiving and Easter, we get dressed up. We it's like a th- thing that we enter into a little bit more than just our our everyday lives. Um, we have them, we just don't practice them on a regular basis, except when it comes to our sacraments. And when we be a- when we're able to begin to take these normal everyday practices, whether that be coffee or whether that be something else, more special, a Thanksgiving meal, special plates and things like that, uh, we begin to kind of see the sacramental life. One of the reasons I thought of my grandfather's cowboy hat is because you have these, um, they're, both of them are woven. They're not like the, the pressed hair ones. And so you have this interweaving of, of these different threads, and they form the shape, and it's held up, and it, it has a structure to it. And a sacramental life really weaves together the sacred and the ordinary. What was just kind of something that was not a big deal, now suddenly, with the understanding of God's presence there with you, can become maybe not a sacrament, but sacramental in the distribution of God's grace and mercy and love to us. It's the mundane and the transcendent. It's us looking and longing for God being present in our everyday lives. When we live sacramental lives, we begin to see how we are participating in the life of the triune God as he brings his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, or in Denver as it is in heaven, in our homes as it is in heaven. 
we come to this story, and it's really in Scripture, and it's really one of those uh, beautiful ones, as I said, um, Jesus eating with his disciples. Uh, this is a story of two disciples after the resurrection, and they are journeying uh, on that Sunday, uh, Resurrection Sunday, from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is a journey of about seven miles. So it would have taken them a few hours, and while they're on their on the road, they are talking with one another about all the things that have happened, probably some whispers of the resurrection as well at this point. Um, and so they're just wondering, and this guy comes along, and he begins to talk to him. What's what's going on here? Uh, very innocent, and they are they're very they're confounded actually. Like, how do you not know what has happened in the last week in Jerusalem? This has been a very very big deal. And he's like, well, tell me about it. And then he just kind of slyly says to them, okay, let me tell you about it as well. It's very one of those very slick ways that Jesus kind of interjects himself into it. And so they get to Emmaus, and they're about. he acts as if he's going to go on. And they say, no, 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 please stay with us. And it's one. this is just one of those beautiful things. Jesus, who is the guest, comes into the home with these two disciples, Cleopas, and it may have been his wife as well, um, but these two disciples, and they sit down, and the guest, not normal, takes bread, and he takes it, he breaks it, or he takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to them. And in the breaking of the bread, uh, Luke writes at the very end, he is made known in the breaking of the bread. The scripture caused their hearts to burn as Jesus explained to them all the, the prophecies and what uh, had been foretold about who he was and what he was going to have to suffer in order for him to come into glory, for the kingdom of heaven to be able to come. And there, that caused their hearts to burn and to long for that. And then when the bread was broken, they, their eyes were opened for them to see who Jesus was and is in that moment. There's another parallel that Luke tells um, in to the story in Acts 8 uh, that is the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, there was a eunuch who had come to Jerusalem to be able to pray. He was very powerful in the Ethiopian uh, community. He oversaw the queen's treasure and all that she had, and typically eunuchs were uh, kept outside of the people of God. Um, he wouldn't have been able to worship in the same fashion as uh, per uh, Israelite law, and so he came and he worshiped, and then he was heading home, and he was reading Isaiah, and he was reading about uh, the servant who was uh, to come. And Philip uh, was called by God to go and to talk to him as he was there. And Philip began to explain scripture to him. And as they passed by a piece of water, he said, well, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized there? And so he went and he baptized them. And we, what we begin to see here is that the sacraments and the word of God come together to be able to give flesh and bone to our life. They give us the ability, both of them working together, give us the ability to be caught up in the life of the triune God. John Calvin, a reformer, said, whenever we see the word of God purely preached and heard and the sacraments administered according to Christ's institution, there a church of God exists. N.T. Wright, uh, on his commentary on this passage, on the Luke passage, said, Take Scripture away, and the meal becomes magic. Take the sacrament away, and Scripture becomes an intellectual or emotional 
exercise detached from real life. Put them together, and you have the center of Christian living. Again, sacraments remind us of God's ability to take the ordinary and often broken things in this world and repurpose them, redeem them, and make them reveal his grace and mercy and love and the role that we then play in his mission. So we're going to talk about how these two sacraments do this. So we're kind of using both scriptures as kind of a jumping off place, um, and we're, but we're going to spend a lot of time talking about these two sacraments. They reveal God is taking normal, everyday things of life, and he's redeeming them and repurposing them so that he can reveal his grace, mercy, and love, and the role that we play in his mission here to make things on earth as it is in heaven. And at the core of what sacraments are is that they are about receiving. Both of these are things that we receive. They're not performances before God. They're not something we do to earn his grace, mercy, and love, but it is a declaration of our reception uh, of his grace and mercy and love. Again, the sacraments give materiality to the scriptures, and to our faith. And we recognize two of them here at the table, baptism and the Eucharist. So baptism and the Eucharist, those are the two that we're going to talk about. Baptism. This is the first and defining act and word that makes uh, making life in the community of the resurrection. Let me kind of rephrase that. The, this baptism is the defining and first act and word, making life in the community of the resurrection. Baptism quite simply just means to wash. It was something uh, of uh, ritual purity that uh, many Jews went through uh, in the early uh, first century, um, and before that as well. Um, John the Baptist, uh, that's how, where he gets his name, because he was baptizing people in the Jordan. He baptized Jesus as well. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but it's a washing. It's a purity that we are given, not something that we've earned, but it is Christ's, it is God's gift of grace to us. And it forms, it, sorry, it redefines our life in Trinitarian terms. It places our unique person in the company of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it immerses us into this triune name, sometimes quite literally, sometimes more metaphorically, the immersion part. Um, and so it redefines our life in Trinitarian terms. When we baptize, we say name of the person. You, we, I baptize you, as the pastor baptizes you, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we say Nick I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Sarah, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You are named, but your name is caught up into the life of God himself. It reminds us, um, and so uh, our identity is formed in being baptized. You are now a baptized person. You are not defined by your Myers-Briggs. Your enneagram. You're not defined by your political affiliation, your uh, right, excuse me, your race, your ethnicity, your social, uh, socioeconomic status, whatever it may be. You are defined by being baptized into the community of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and into the community with Nick, with Mark, with Sarah and Stacy and Michael 
and Evelyn and Joshua and all those who are connected through the triune God as well. You are baptized into the church. This personalizes God, who is not someone to be known in the abstract. Um, it is not someone who we can just talk uh, uh, blithely about. Is that the am I using that term right? Um, and and <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and so, thank you. Uh, it is not someone that we can just. God is not someone who we can just define on our own terms. But it reminds us that God is defined on who He is in the community of persons and those whom He brings in. It is a specific God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God who says, "I am." who I am, God who came to us in the person of Jesus Christ, God who lives inside of us in the Holy Spirit, God, Trinity, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then it gives us participation as we were brought into the communal life of the Trinity, which we would say the church. Now, I don't always want to be defined uh, by the church, uh, by how what our reputation is and who we are known to be out in the world. But it is this is the people of God through whom uh, we are known. Maybe, perhaps, in the church, we are wanting to be known uh, as something other than or different or more, which is actually less than being baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Maybe we, we uh, have our priorities misplaced in who we are to be known as when we say the word the church. And we've done that throughout the ages. We're not doing that anything different now. Um, but this participation God gives us. Uh, here at the table, we practice baptism uh, in a couple different ways. Uh, uh, traditionally, uh, we do that as pre- Presbyterians in pedo baptism. So we recognize and practice um, first and foremost, maybe I'll say that, maybe, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that, but uh, uh, infant baptism, and so we would do that um, whenever a family comes to us and they have a new baby. So, if you would like, (laughs) Nick and Natalie, uh, to have Teddy baptized, uh, we would long to and love to be able to do that. We do that because we uh, affirm that uh, this is is something that's received. So it's not something that you have done, but it's a it's an identity that you receive through God, and it is God as the first actor uh, calls this baby before they can do anything of their own volition to come and be a part of the family of God. We believe that God recognizes families, and He longs to call children into His family as well. But we also do confessional baptism. So if you come and confess uh, for the first time or for another time that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, we would love to baptize you in that as well Um, because it is confessing that you have received your identity through Jesus Christ being placed into the community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you are a part of the church. And so we practice baptism in that way as well. Uh, tr- some of the traditional words that um, is used in, in when we talk about the sacraments, but especially baptism, is that it's a sign and it's a seal. And so in that, it signifies that you are washed through Christ's blood, 
receiving his forgiveness, receiving his grace, and that it signifies, so it's not the thing itself, but it signifies then your new identity in Christ. And it's also a seal because it's not something that changes. So no matter where we go about in our lives, our identity is first and foremost in our baptism in Christ. And so we uh, uh, use those words sign and seal in that. But it's not just something that we receive, as it is that primarily, but it's something that builds a habit. So how do we participate? Uh, How does baptism affect the rest of our lives? The habit of baptism is love. It is not an easy add-on. It's not something that we just uh, go, oh, I did the, my love task today, and so we do a checkbox. Uh, but it's, it's not a one and done, but it's a life lived in the Trinitarian community of love that places sacrifice at the center. It's, it's center. It means that our lives are one of sacrifice for those around us, first and foremost, the people that are nearest to us. Just as Christ sacrificed his life on the cross, we then live a life of sacrifice for one another, uh, for our church, for the people that we're in community with, and those around us. It means that we're never a finished product, but that God always and continually longs to um, call us into a deeper trust, into a deeper faith, into deeper levels of sacrifice for him um, in ways that continually remind us of his grace and mercy and truth in our lives. We receive, and when we uh, live a life of sacramental sacrifice, giving our lives away, we receive Jesus' life, full life, eternal life, here and now in our daily lives. Baptism. Eucharist, or communion, or the Lord's Supper. This is the central symbolic action of Jesus' people. It's something that we do here every week. Uh, We see it as, again, an identity marker of who we are. If baptism says that we belong at, uh, in the triune, in in the people of God, then the sitting down at a meal confirms and affirms that for us, giving us the assurance that we are welcome at his table. I like the word Eucharist over communion and the Lord's Supper because uh, of how it feels in the mouth. Uh, um, I just is a is a fun word to be able to say, but I think it's it actually uh, has a really good deep meaning of it. Uh, it means Thanksgiving. It, fr- com- it comes from giving grace, uh, which is usually when we say our our grace prayer at our our tables at our meals we are thanking god for what he has given to us so again it is a receiving yes sir okay thank you can uh, hold on to that for me for a second okay thank you cornucopia of grace and mercy he belongs it's one of those amazing things it so okay so this reminds us this shows us that when we are a part of the family of God, that we can come to God and say, here, I need you. I want your, your attention. I want to show my love for you of what you I have received from you um, so that I can give back. So again, it is a Thanksgiving meal. This is a sacrificial meal. It's not forced. It's not education. It's not entertainment. It's not economic improvement or political It is a meal that reminds us of the sacrifice that Christ has had for us on the cross. And I would say, I was talking to Stacey last night, that I 
part of me really, and I, I don't know if this is blasphemous, I'm still working it out, uh, but you know, we always look at the cross and the resurrection for the centrality of who Christ is and what he has done for us. But the purpose, in my mind, again, I'm still working this out, is that those were done so that we can come to the table, so that we can be a part of the family of God, so that we can have communion and give thanks for what he has done for us and have that deep relationship. It is the conduit. It is the reason we're able to have the relationship, but that is not the end all. Christ did that once and for all so that we can come continually to his table and eat and drink deeply of the grace and mercy that he has given for us. Uh, for us and for our salvation, as the Nicene Creed puts it. Again, it's something to be received. We get bread. It's the basic everyday food. We have wine. That is brings it into more of a celebratory nature. It lifts it up out of the ordinary. And so we have this ordinary and this extraordinary coming together again. As we see in our passage here, when uh, whenever uh, Jesus... Uh, goes through the liturgy of the meal. It has a shape to it. Um, He takes, he blesses, he breaks, and he gives. In taking, Jesus takes whatever we bring to him. He refuses nothing of who we are and of what we've done, but he receives us graciously. He blesses it. So whatever we offer to Jesus, Jesus offers to God with thanksgiving. He offers himself along with us, And the entire meaning of the Eucharist as it comprises Jesus' life and our lives are compressed into this prayer with one another. He breaks it, which means our gifts don't just remain what we bring to him. We're not permitted to be self-sufficient. We're not permitted to stay the same. He breaks it. He breaks his bread and he distributes it around the table. And he breaks his body on the cross. This is my body broken for you. It's not a program for self-help, but it's a life of sacrifice. And then he gives it. He gives it back to us. He gives back to us what we bring, who we are, and what we receive is what he gives. And it's a lavish return. It's not just what he has given to us. The communion that we have in and with Christ reverberates in the communion that we have with one another. And it's organic rhythm rhythmic way of life that gets us in on everything Christ is doing from the cross all the elements of a eucharistically formed life are present every time we sit down to a meal and invoke Jesus as host we practice eucharist at the table weekly we do it with bread and wine we have grape juice for those who need it we have gluten-free elements for those who need it um, but we believe that it is that so there's a lot of ways of understanding whether it's that the bread and the wine tr- truly transform into the blood and body of Christ that's called transubstantiation there's consubstantiation which means that they are both there both elements are there the body the body and the bread the wine and the blood um, there's another one is there another one uh, transubstantiation someone what it's merely symbolic, and it's a reminder of uh, Christ's sacrifice that he's done for us. But here at the table, we believe that it is more uh, than uh, a mere reminder, 
that is not necessarily elements transforming into one another, but we do believe in the real presence of Christ in the elements themselves. And so when we take the bread and the wine, we are receiving Christ mysteriously, um, and by faith, receiving him for who he is. And we do it as a family meal. So all those who are baptized and walking in faith and repentance are welcome to come to this table, as I've said, say, most Sundays now, whether you're 70 or you're 7 um, or 7 months. Uh, if you can recognize your hunger for Christ, this is a meal for you. The habit of the Eucharist is hospitality. <laughs> I'm trying to be short on this one. Um Hospitality, the primary thing of what we see Christ doing at the table is welcoming enemies to come and to eat with him, to call them family. And he does this when the disciples have no idea what Jesus is doing. And he does this in a way that transforms them into receiving who he is. Hospitality in the New Testament is Greek word philozenia. Uh, it means the familial love of a stranger, which is what we see Christ doing on a regular basis and what he calls us to do. The primary venue for ministry, evangelism, relationships that Jesus has in his life is the meal. And so I think we should be doing that as well. We should be eating and drinking with one another. We should be inviting people that we don't know or that we long to know better to our tables. There are 21 different times typically, in a week that we have an opportunity to be able to eat a meal. We should use one of those at least to be able to invite people around the table with us. There's a lot of reasons why we don't, um, but we, we can. the primary uh, habit of the Eucharist is hospitality. Peterson says, The Eucharist stands as a bulwark against reducing our participation in salvation to the exercise of devotional practices before God or being recruited to run errands for God. It is real. It is material. It is sacrificial. We have to give up. Sometimes we have to save up to be able to host people around our table. Sometimes we have to give up um, maybe uh, something of our job, something of energy, something of what our life is to be able to make the sacrifice to invite someone around our table. But this joins us in the life of Jesus. Christ was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. He instructed uh, his disciples to go and baptize and make disciples. He gave us the meal to be uh, uh, not just energized, but to be nourished in our spirits, to be able to live the life that he has given to us in the lives of others. And it foreshadows our heavenly reality of being welcomed and accepted at the table, to be sitting down into this heavenly feast where the wine never runs out, where it's always the best. The food, it never has a caloric uh, impact in our, on our lives, but allows us to feast in a way that shows us the goodness and the grace of Jesus himself. Here at the table, we are setting a table and inviting you to come and be accepted and to belong. And so we have gone through, I don't know what time I'm at, but uh, take a couple more minutes. We've gone through uh, what we have called the habits of the heart, the shape of our liturgy, shaping our lives after um, Christ and what he is doing in here. We've had a call to worship. 
uh, an invitation to come and worship God, confession and absolution, saying that we are not, um, uh, <laughs> we don't have it all together, and that God offers us forgiveness, prayer and being uh, shaping our lives into a prayerful life, singing, lifting our voices and hearts to God, scripture, seeing the word of God nourish us more than bread alone, sacraments, and seeing our lives being being brought into and going out of the life of God, and then a benediction, which is kind of that bridge sermon that we had, um, living a life, a blessed life. I hate the way that sounds. Living... Uh, um, taking uh, this life of worship with us into the rest of our lives as well. Here's my final kind of question. What has changed going through this about your understanding of worship? Or maybe what what questions do you still have? Um, And what has changed about your understanding of your own life in Christ? Has there been a movement for you? What has that been? And what does that look like for you? And what, what... just what continues to stir uh, as we've gone through this series? I think this can be like a, a, another task to complete for me. Um, you gotta gotta have a sermon, gotta write it, gotta get have three points, et cetera, et cetera. Gotta have the right songs and the the right wording and all of that. Um, and I've tried to give up some of that, um, but it's really hard, especially when it comes to the sermon part. Um, but also seeing how it shapes uh, my life. How does it really, like the question of how does it really shape my life? How can we take some of the practices of like going through and like like when we have people over taking, blessing, breaking, and giving, like to having some kind of a liturgy or a thing for that of like going, being reminded of this is not just a meal um, but again, in those things, I can get caught up in a task. Okay, I'm going to have a lunch with a person. What are the right questions I can ask? But being expectant for what God is going to do in those things um, instead of believing that uh, it relies on me. Um, man, I struggle with that a lot, a lot, a lot. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was a season I got really good in Atlanta where I would pull up like five minutes early to a house or a meeting or whatever and I would set, go over like the CV of the person <laughs> who are the kids names and all of that because I'm terrible at remembering those things but like praying for them and just being my okay God is going to be with us in this and all of that but it it's it is a it is a, a purposed thing just like coming to worship even it's this purpose that we do it on a regular basis that um, we set side a time, set time aside for it, um, and make it intentional. Um, and uh, it's a reminder of, of of who God is and what He has done for us, very intentionally emptying Himself so that we can be uh, a part of His life here. We want worship to feel mundane in some ways um, so that it can enter into the rest of our lives and that the rest of our lives can feel like worship as well. So let's pray.
Father, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to come and to worship. We thank you um, for the space. Um, we thank you for meeting us here. Um, we are hungry people. Um, we're continually searching for places of belonging and hope in our lives. Um, always wondering whether we belong around the table. Um, do we belong in the life of a family? Do we belong um, wherever? Um, and so, Lord, we um, we thank you that you welcome us here, that uh, in you, in your Son, we can receive belonging. Uh, we can receive uh, your grace um, and make us hungry to share that with other people as well. Help to see uh, their hearts of belonging, um, their hearts of hunger for that as well. Um, and we pray that you would meet them in that, that you would remind them how much you love them, how much you care for them. Um, help us to um, be witnesses and participants uh, with you in that, Lord. Um, we pray that our hearts would be shaped after you, a life of sacrifice, a life of hospitality, a life of love. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.